Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Good morning, Centerpoint. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, my name is Bradley Hamilton. If we haven't met, I am our family engagement pastor, and so I oversee everything in kids and students. I'm so excited to be here and talk to you this morning. I'm actually excited to be back. I've uh, been out for about the last month, if you didn't know, on October 25th. Uh, we welcomed our second son into the world. His name is Brewer. Thank you. And I uh, brought a quick picture just to show you how we're doing, give you an update. As you can see, my oldest uh, loves being an older brother already a little too much. He uh, uh, thinks that this baby is really his and that he wants to take care of it and feed it. And so um, he's having a great time, but um, we're really doing great. And my wife and I just wanted to extend just a thanks to all of you who have uh, sent gifts and sent kind words and been praying for us. And so thank you so much. Um, we're doing awesome. If I seem like I'm more exhausted than normal up here, it's because I am. And so uh, all that to say, um, that's why. But um, uh, I'm really excited for this morning. I'm, I'm really excited actually for next week to, to talk about this for a second before we get going, um, because we are doing something incredibly special, like you just heard, um, called our Celebration Sunday. And what we want to do is take out some time from our year and just celebrate all that God has done. And so we're going to take some time and share some stories, some things that have happened that maybe you don't even know about. Um, we're going to talk about what we raised for, for the city and our partners all around and on all that um, they are doing. And uh, we're going to celebrate baptisms as well and people making decisions uh, to follow after Jesus and, and life change. And so it's going to be a great Sunday to be a part of it. It's also a great time to invite. And so if you have someone who isn't sure about church, maybe isn't sure about our church, and wants to know the core of what we're about, this will be a perfect Sunday um, to have them be there with you. And so invite to that. Um, it's going to be a great one. Um, this morning, I want to talk about, and I'm serious, the one question that will change your life. Now, my family and friends um, in the past, and my wife especially, have accused me of being dramatic, but I promise this uh, sentence is not. Um, I really think that the question we're going to talk about has the potential to change your life. And I believe that because it has changed mine. In fact, the question we're going to look at when I came across it just a few years back, I can trace moments of my life that honestly go back to this question, and I believe it has changed the trajectory of a lot of my decisions. And what I want to look at, and why I think this question is so important, is because I want to look at as we make decisions, as we make choices, all of us in some way are running them through some type of question. And we make choices all day, every day. But it's the question behind them that filters down our options to where we choose what we feel is best for us. We make so many choices. In fact, some of you, most of you this morning have made a bunch of choices. You decided whether to get up or what time to get up to be here. Uh, you decided uh, if you were going, what you were going to wear. Uh, some of you decided if you were going to bathe. Um, you decided if you were going to eat breakfast, and if so, what you were going to eat and how healthy you wanted to be, or if you're like me, just how convenient you wanted it to be. And then you decided what time you were going to leave to be here. And then when you were running behind on that time, you decided to make the conscious decision, how fast can I drive to where I can get there a little bit quicker, but not get caught, right? 
Just me. Okay. And so uh, we've made a lot of decisions already this morning. You made decisions as you came through these doors. You decided, do I get another cup of coffee? Because I've only had four. Again, I'm just saying on mine today. And uh, you decided, should I go to the bathroom before getting a seat? Or, or do I just try and hold it? And uh, now those of you who decided to hold it are hating me because that's all you can think about. And uh, I'm sorry, but I'm the shortest speaker here. Okay. So I'm not going to keep you for long. So you'll be fine. Um, you've made a lot of choices. And all of us all day long are making these decisions. In fact, Psychology Today did a study, and they estimate that we make 35,000 decisions every single day. And most of those are little, like some of the ones that I just listed. And they're unconscious, and we don't really think about them. And honestly, they don't really have a lot of bearing on our life at the end of the day. They don't really alter the direction that we're headed, and they're just small little decisions. Then there are others. And there are other decisions that we make that will change the direction of our lives. There are others that have a pretty drastic impact and consequences, good or bad, on where we go next. And these are kind of decisions that maybe you're even wrestling with this morning. Decisions like, should I take the job? Or should I make the move? Should I do this business deal? Should I make that purchase? Do we homeschool or public school or charter school? Do we attend that party? Do we date that person? And these decisions, if we were to be honest, we look back at our lives, some of the greatest moments of our lives are because we've landed on the right side of those decisions, haven't we? Some of the greatest things that ever happened to us, we took that job and it was the best thing we ever could have done. We made that move and it just set our career and our family in a, a brand new direction. We decided to ask that person out and now maybe you're sitting next to them and you've been married for decades. A lot of these decisions we have chosen correctly and we have landed in a better spot because of it. But I'd be willing to bet if you look at your life, the opposite's also true. There have been some decisions you didn't land on the right side of. And it was one moment, and it was one choice, and it wasn't intentional, but you ended up somewhere that you didn't want to be. It was one click, it was one decision to drink that, take that, go there. And you look back at your life now, and that's your moment of your greatest regret. Because it was one decision that ended you up somewhere that you didn't want to be. And the issue, and maybe you didn't see it at the time, maybe you see it now in hindsight, was the question that you used to filter your options. It was the filter that we used to decide what is the best option for me. And there's a lot of different filters that we use, and I could go through a ton of them, and I'm just gonna hit, I think it's some of the biggest ones that we use, but I wanna propose that these filters, these questions that we begin to ask of our decisions are not the best ones to ask. And maybe some of the ones that we most commonly use to make decisions are maybe some of the most dangerous. And so I call them faulty filters. And so here's a few of them. Again, I can't go through all, but I just want to hit a couple of them. And maybe you can relate to some of these about a decision in your past. The first filter that we sometimes use, a faulty filter, is what will people think? How many of your decisions have been made because you want the approval of somebody else? We thought, what are they going to think of me? Are they going to approve of me? And then here's the problem that maybe you discovered. You did something and chose something because what if someone else was going to think of you? And then that approval didn't last? but the regret did. And you began to build your life and your identity and your decisions around someone else's choices. And here's the problem that happens when we do that. When we begin to think, what will people think? And that's the filter that we use. We make people our gods. We decide and dictate everything we do with somebody else's approval in mind. And we do everything for them. And then the problem is people are terrible gods. They're terrible. And every person at some point will let you down and all approval from another human being will not satisfy the ultimate need in your life. 
And because that person that you gave everything for didn't fulfill you the way you thought it would, you're now in a place that you didn't want to be in and didn't even intend to end up. But the filter was what will people think. And here's maybe even the worst part of this. You will live your life making decisions, trying to make everybody else happy, and it will be an impossible task. You will not be able to make everyone else happy. You will change who you are. You will change how you think. You will seek your entire life on an endless wheel and end up, and maybe it looks good on Pinterest, and maybe it looks great on TikTok, but you will not be satisfied because it's not about the approval of others, and you will never attain it. And so as we make decisions, too often, again, we might not have said it, but our filter is what do people think, and we have got to use a better filter than just what does someone else think. Here's another faulty filter. We ask this, what's in it for me? And maybe you didn't say it. And maybe you didn't say it out loud. But come on, how many of our decisions are really driven with this in mind? What do I get out of this? What's the return on investment for me? How much affection or how much attention am I going to get if this takes place? And I'm not saying, hear me out, I'm not saying that it's bad for you to get something out of your decisions, okay? That sometimes happens. What I am suggesting is that if your ultimate filter for making decisions is what do I get out of this, then it begins to build you into someone who is incredibly selfish. And it begins to treat people like transactions. And you will begin making decisions that leave other people in your wake and hurting. And you will end up somewhere that you did not want to be. And you might get all the things that promised. And you might think it would make you happier, but you won't be because your ultimate filter was just what's in this for me. And can I just talk to Christians in the room for a second? Um, If you're not a Christ follower, if you're trying to figure out where you are in faith, um, we're so glad that you're here. In fact, a lot of this is built with you and for you in mind. And so I just want to take a second to talk to the Christians. So if you're not or you're not sure, you kind of get to sit back and kind of hear what we think about things. And so this, you get off on this one, but um, to the Christians in the room, If your filter in life and your main filter is what is in this for me, it will always stand in opposition of you living out your faith. It will always. It will constantly compete with you trying to live out a relationship with Jesus Christ and thinking about what is it for me in every situation. And that's because at the end of the day, our mark as a Christ follower is our love for other people. The way you live out your faith isn't just by doing all the right things, but it's by loving well and extending the grace that you have been given in Jesus to people around you. And then Jesus goes so far to say that your mark should be laying down your life for other people, thinking of them first. And so you can think about yourself first all you want, but you will find it conflicting with living out your relationship with Jesus. You will. There's got to be a greater filter than just what's in it for me. Here's another one. Uh, I only have two more, but what does my heart say? A faulty filter. Now, this one sounds great. And we say it to people all the time. We go, just follow your heart. And that is possibly the worst piece of advice that you can give somebody else. Because just think about it. How often have your feelings led you somewhere that you shouldn't have been? How often have your feelings gotten you into a place that you did not want to go? Our feelings are terrible guides. In fact, you might have done this. Was there ever something that you wanted so bad that you prayed for it and you got your small group to pray for it and you just really were hoping that you would get it and then you didn't and you were so mad at God and you were so mad at everybody else involved and then life continued a little bit and you're down the road a little bit more and you are so thankful you didn't get that thing, 
right? Because our, our feelings, our, our desires, they're not always leading us to the best place. And so we need a filter that's going to filter through those desires and figure out what is really best. And this isn't just me saying this. In fact, this is like an age-old idea. If you look at Jeremiah, he was a, a prophet, spoke out for God. So this is like a long time ago, ready? In your Old Testament, he says it this way. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. And then he asks this question, I love it. Who can understand it? In other words, he's looking at his own life and going, why am I always my worst enemy? Why do I always make the same decisions that get me in the same places and I can't seem to figure it out? Why do I tend to do what I do? And he's going, it's because our feelings and our heart, they're a terrible guide. And we can't understand it. And we cannot go just living life by following our heart because you will end up somewhere that you did not intend to be if that's your only filter. And here's the last one. We tend to ask this question, is it wrong? That's our filter. Is it wrong? As long as it's not wrong, it's okay. And this sounds like a good question at first, right? To ask, is it illegal? Is it immoral? Is it wrong? And some things are just wrong, right? Like, so it's an easy yes or no. Like, we probably all agree in the room, like, murder is bad, okay? So we shouldn't kill each other, right? So we just know, okay, that's wrong. That's off the table. And uh, stealing is bad. And so as we leave here, we're not going to, like, take our neighbor's car. We get that's wrong. Um, the problem is not a lot of your decisions are just right or wrong decisions, there are some of those, and it's pretty easy, and we don't really have to think about them a whole lot. But most of your decisions are probably in the in-between. And they're not right, they're not wrong, they're just sort of in that gray. And so what do we do then? Now, here's, here's what I know about you, and I don't know all of you. But here's what I do know. When you think about that moment of biggest regret in your life, that moment where everything changed, that you crossed the line, and it, it just, to this day, is the moment that you think of as the one you wish you could go back and change. That wasn't just one momentary decision. It wasn't just one moment and, and, and that was it. What I'm willing to bet is that there were other smaller, poor decisions that led up to it, weren't there? And there were other decisions that you made that they weren't wrong and they weren't illegal. They weren't immoral, but they weren't smart. And as you made unsmart decision after unsmart decision after unsmart decision, you got closer and closer to the line that you said you would never cross. And you got closer and closer to the spot to where it took one misstep and one mistake to push you over the edge. And the issue wasn't, is it wrong? The issue was, where did I draw the line from me? And what begins to happen with this filter of just is it wrong and everything else is fine is that we want to draw the line at the least possible boundary and then live as close as possible to that. And we tend to do this all the time. In fact, again, can I pick on Christians for a second? So those not Christians in the room, you can sit aside, but Christians, I know I'm picking on you, but um, we're sometimes the worst at this because we want to look at our relationship with Jesus, and this is the tendency that I think we all have, and go, okay, what are the things I, I need to do? Okay, we make it a checklist. I need to do these things because these are the right things, and then I need to label some things as wrong because there's a definite wrong things, and it's usually what we're handed by another church experience, and what Christians tend to talk about is really wrong, so we make sure usually it's around sex or substance abuse, so we say, okay, I'm not doing those. I'm going to do these things, and then that's my relationship with God. What will happen if that is your relationship with God is that you don't have a relationship, you have a religion. And you have a way of living that has checked off the right things, ignored the wrong things, and then what happens is you feel like you're all great with God, but then you're ignoring the middle ground stuff, the stuff that may be in you that isn't as noticeable like your greed or racism or arrogance, and we tend to ignore that because we just feel like we're right. 
And that's a terrible way to live out your relationship because it will always be a religion. But we just want to figure out what's the wrong thing and how close can I get to that without suffering the consequences? What's, what, how far can I neglect my finances till I'm really in a bad spot? How far can I just ignore my health until there's a crisis taking place? And the problem with what is the wrong thing to do filter is that it will always fall short because you have eliminated your margin for error and you will end up in places that you didn't want to be. So I want to propose a better filter. I want to propose a question. We're going to ask it in three different ways that I think will help you put some application behind it. So really applicable. I think you can use this in whatever decision you're thinking about right now this morning, and it will regret-proof the rest of your life. So here's the question. What is the wise thing to do? Sounds simple. I'm going to get there. What is the wise thing to do? Not the wrong thing. Not what did they think. Not what am I getting out of it. What is the wise thing to do? And I use this word wise, and it's, not, it's one that we use a lot, but maybe we don't have a ton of language around, so I just want to define wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to reach sound conclusions based off of accumulated knowledge. So, as you think back to your greatest regret in life, wouldn't it be great to go back? And wouldn't it be great to take your accumulated knowledge of all that you've learned and all that you've done and all that you've seen and go back to that decision and apply a better, more sound judgment? That'd be great. And I wish that was what I was going to give you for the rest of this morning. Unfortunately, we can't do that. We cannot undo some of the decisions that we've made in the past, but here's what we can do. We can decide that from now on, the decisions that we make, we will take the accumulated knowledge that we can and we will make a better and more sound conclusion by making decisions in wisdom. And so this isn't a new idea. This is actually uh, written about first by maybe a guy named Paul. And uh, Paul, you've probably heard about before, especially if you grew up in the church for a while. He wrote most of our New Testament. He's like the greatest church planter of all time. He's a big preacher and leader. But before all of that, Paul was a guy who got regret because Paul started out his ministry murdering Christians. In fact, he was a Pharisee, which meant he was a religious leader. And talk about right versus wrong. He was great at the religion. He understood they had a list of things you should and shouldn't do. He did them all perfectly. He rose up in the ranks as a Pharisee because he was so great at keeping right and wrong. And so Pharisees, this was how they lived. This was how they operated. And then this guy, Jesus, showed up. And he was a poor guy from an obscure village. And he began to be claiming to be God. And that wasn't that abnormal. I mean, people claimed all kinds of crazy things at the time. He's maybe just a little out of there and, you know, you know, not in his right mind. But then people began to follow him. And they began to claim that he was healing and teaching things that had never been heard before. He was elevating the stature of women and children. And he began to gain this following. And now it became a little bit of an issue for the Pharisees. Because now this kind of cult uprising uh, was beginning to lead more people astray in their mind. And so they thought, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to kill the leader. Because if the leader is claiming to be God and we kill God, then there's no more cult. And they were right. And so they killed Jesus. In fact, they want to do it publicly and brutally so that everyone sees it. And what they did worked because everyone left. And there were no more Christ followers. And even his own disciples who claimed that he was God saw him die and said, well, gods don't die. And then they ran and hid. And they were scared. And there were no more Jesus followers. But then something began to happen. Because just three days later, they thought it was over, they thought the cult was gone, and all of a sudden, all of these people began to run back into the streets and claim something crazy. 
They were claiming, hey, we saw him die. You brutally killed him on that hillside. The whole town saw it. But now we've also seen him alive again. And hundreds of eyewitnesses. This is before the Bible. They weren't just handed something and told to believe it. These were eyewitness accounts that began to change history that are recorded about in historical accounts before the Bible was collected. They were eyewitness accounts of hundreds of people going, we've seen him. And what began to happen was their worst nightmare as the Pharisees. This movement began to take off like never before. It actually grew to greater than it was before because people were convinced that even though they had seen him die, they saw him raised again, they were willing to give their lives for it. And so Paul decides, okay, now to end this, because we've got uh, to put this to rest, he says, why don't, why don't we just kill everyone who claims to be a Christian and kill their families? And then that's how we'll solve this issue. So Paul begins to do this. And he begins to take to the streets and kill hundreds of Christians. And he was doing a great job of it until he began to believe in Jesus. And he would claim, and again, you can read this in other historical accounts of the life of Paul outside of the Bible. So even if you're skeptical, maybe just uh, you owe it to yourself to look into this a little bit because I think it's pretty convincing that Paul would say, as I was killing Christians, I met Jesus. And I began to reevaluate my life. And he went and met with the disciples and he met with the apostles and he tried to figure out and learn everything he could about this guy, Jesus, because he didn't understand it all. He was trying to figure it out, but all he knew was that this guy died and then he rose again. And so he had to be who he said he was and that was God. And so then Paul becomes the Paul that we know today. And as he's writing and instructing other Christians on how to live this life out, he was a guy who understood regret. He was a guy who understood decisions that he had made in the past that led him somewhere that he did not want to be. And so now here's what he has to say about living in wisdom. He says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now that's not necessarily language we would use anymore saying the days are evil, but I think we would agree with the sentiment that he's pointing out. It's the drift of your heart and the drift of culture aren't toward health and thriving. The drift, if we're on autopilot, if we check out, if we just follow our feelings, us and culture, we will always lead toward destruction. And what Paul is trying to point out is that your time is fleeting and your decisions, they matter. And if you just go through an autopilot and follow every whim, you will end up somewhere you never intended to be. And so his instructions, walk carefully. Don't just, don't just check out. Think about your decisions. Weigh out your decisions. You owe it to yourself when you confront multiple options to filter it through a way of wisdom to go, what is the wise thing to do? And if you do that, you avoid the drift of culture and you can avoid the drift of your heart and you just might avoid regret that otherwise you would have to live with. But what is the wise thing to do? Now, I wanna ask this in three different ways because it's still kind of a vague question But I think asking it through three kind of um, filters is going to really help us in determining the decisions that we have maybe in front of us this morning. So here's how I want to ask this question, and I'll break these um, each down. In light of my past experience, that's part one, my current circumstances, part two, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? Think through each of these. As you're trying to figure out what's wise, it will help if you separate it into my past, my present, and my future. I'm going to walk through each one of these. First, is it wise based off your past experience? Now, here's what's true about you. You are different than everybody else in the room. You are different than the person to your right or to your left. And you're different in good ways. 
right? You have different talents. You have different abilities. You have different past experiences. You have different giftings. You have different personalities and families. And all of those have built you into the unique human that you are. But that also means that your flaws are different and the areas you're tempted are different and the places that you tend to, to give into easier, it might be different. And so when you're trying to figure out what is the wise thing for me to do based off my past, you should probably take your past into question. Because what happened last time you went there? What happened last time you hung out with them? What happened last time you texted him or her? And if there's a pattern of, of your past experience that might be different from everyone else's, it's something to consider when making the next decision. Now, here's where this gets incredibly difficult. This might mean that what's okay for everyone else is a no for you. This might mean that your filter's not just, is it wrong because everybody else is doing it and no one cares about that. It might still mean that that shouldn't be a negotiable thing for you. It might even mean that what's a hobby for everyone else is still a no for you. And that's difficult to do in the moment. It feels like we're saying no to something that maybe even our heart desires or our heart wants but it will lead you to the, repeat the same past mistakes. And if you don't weigh in your past, you will continue to end up somewhere you did not want to be because it wasn't the wise thing to do, not just right or wrong, but based on your experience, it wasn't wise. And so what boundary do you need to draw for yourself to go, hey, I'm just going to say no to this, not because it's wrong, and I'm not going to make other people say no to it because Christians do that all the time, but what is it for me in my walk with Jesus and where I want to be, what is it for me that I need to say no to. Is it wise based on your past experience? Second part, is it wise based off my current circumstances? The truth is that every season is different. And sometimes what's wise in one season is not wise in another. And so there may be something that, yes, it's okay. Yes, it's permissible. Yes, it's fine. But you need to do yourself the favor and go, where am I at right now? Where is my family at right now before we make this decision? Where are me and this person at relationally, and is this going to be beneficial for both parties? Where am I at financially before I just make this purchase? I need to consider what's happening and what's going on right now. Here's a big one. Where am I at mentally? Is this a decision that I need to be making in this current season? Is this a decision that I'm doing out of hurt or out of frustration or out of unforgiveness? Like, where am I at? In fact, can we just be honest? How many of our bad decisions were just because we were hungry? Or they're tired or stressed. It's something to take into consideration because a lot of times the decisions that you made that end up being bad decisions, you just shouldn't have been making in the first place. And so what if we look and took stock of our lives to go, where am, I, where am I at right now? And is this wise now? Now, here's the good news. Just because something is a no right now does not mean it's a no forever. There may be things that you need to say no to or you need to walk away from that aren't because God's keeping that away from you, not because you just never get to enjoy that, but because right now that's not wisest for you. And maybe down the road God has that thing. And maybe down the road that's something that will be wise in another season. But we have to ask ourselves the question, what is the wise thing to do given where I'm at currently, my current circumstances? And then lastly, is this wise based off my future hopes and dreams? We all have an idea of what our future could be or should be. And there's no one in the room who's going, you know what? I really just want to ruin my life one day. 
Like if I could just, you know, burn all the relational bridges and make sure they hate me and my kids don't talk to me and my finances are in the toilet, like, yeah, that's what I'm shooting for. Like no one does that. But it happens every day. No one intends to get to a spot in their finances where they can't recover, but it happens. No one intends to have a relationship so broken that it's never repaired, but it happens. No one sets out to ruin their future. They just end up there by accident. And if we would think with the future in mind, if we would make decisions with the future as part of that equation, what happens is you begin to reverse engineer your wise decisions. And you begin to live intentionally. Because everyone ends up somewhere. You cannot end up somewhere on purpose. And so you get to look at who do I want to be? Where do I want my family to be? Where do I want my finances to be? What kind of thing do I want said about me at the end of my life? How do I want my kids to feel about me in the end days? Like, where do I want to go? What kind of husband? What kind of spouse? What kind of daughter or son? And if we start there, it might change the decision that you're making now. Even if you want it, even if it's not wrong, it might not be wise. And we get the opportunity to look at our future and say, how do I get where I want to be? And so that's it. That's the content. That's the question. But here's what I know. It's easy to get excited about this, listening to it. It's easy to think back to all of your mistakes and regrets and go, yeah, if I had just done that differently, that's where I'd be. So that makes sense. I get why I did that. And that's great. I'm going to do that next time. But then you have to do it. And that's the harder piece. Because what you might find is that you walked in here maybe with a decision in mind and you knew what you wanted and you knew where you were going. And maybe, and listen, this isn't me. I don't know your situation, but maybe God's kind of turned you in a different way this morning. And maybe you have to walk out and make a decision that is so difficult and so tough and no one else is making it, but you have to. And that's when it gets hard. My uh, oldest son, Brecken, I-, I love him more than I ever thought possible. It's like I look at him and like my heart feels like it's just going to explode out of my chest, you know. But he's entering terrible twos a little early. And uh, he's stubborn. He gets it from his mom. And um, he hates, hates the word no. I mean, hates it. That sends him into a tantrum. He cries. He freaks out. I'm trying to get him not to hit, but you know, he uh, just doesn't like it. And usually when I'm saying no, it's because he's doing something like trying to pull something off the counter that will crush him or and he hates that. Don't tell him no to that. Um, he wants to run on the couch over the tile and almost fall because he's not stable enough yet. And I know that. And so I say no and bad dad, you know, um, It's things that are for his best, even though he doesn't see it that way. And he sees me as trying to ruin his fun or take out an option or not allow him to live his best life. And I just don't want him to die at two, okay? I love him. I have his best in mind. And so I tell him sometimes something isn't the wisest thing to do. I don't know your view of God. I don't know what kind of view of God you were given, maybe by another church experience or whatever. 
But I think too many of us kind of view God as that angry big brother in the sky who wants to ruin your freedom or take something away that everybody else gets to do, and so why do I have to be different? And can I just tell you, that's not who God is. In fact, can I remind you, and I don't know who this is for, God is obsessed with you. When he sees you, his heart will explode out of his chest. He loves you. And you're going, yeah, Bradley, but you don't know what I've done or where I've been. That doesn't matter. God sent his son to die for you in your place. And he said that you are now given everything that Jesus deserves, which is just perfection and countless second chances and all of the grace you could ever begin to imagine. That is who you are. In fact, in scripture, it calls you his workmanship. His greatest accomplishments, his masterpiece, the thing he looks over and couldn't be more proud of, that is who you are. I don't know what you've heard about God. I don't know who handed you a a different version that's not correct. You have a God who loves you and who is actually for you. And we have to start there. And so then, when he says no, when he says not now, It's not because he doesn't want your freedom or your happiness, your joy. It's the opposite. He loves you enough to want your best. And so we can go out and try and make decisions all we want, but we have to start there. If we can realize that by asking this question, yes, it is difficult. Yes, it might mean we say no. Yes, it might mean we give up on things that we really wanted. But at the end of the day, we are following a God who is for us, who loves us and wants our best for us. And so we step out knowing that the no's are maybe not now, but maybe not, not ever. And we just are trusting that he has our best in mind and that we will end up somewhere if we'll take him up on it to be in a regret-proof place in the future and that's what we're shooting for. And so I just want to pray for a couple of us in the room before we end. One, I want to pray for those of you who are in the, in the room, you, maybe that's new. Maybe this idea that God isn't just after you because your behavior has been bad or you made some mistakes or regrets and um, he's watching you and you need to check off boxes. That, that's not who he is. And so maybe for the first time you've realized that you have a God who loves you, who is for you, and that you can actually enter into a relationship with because he wants to walk this thing out with you. And so if that's you, listen, I know it can be a tough step to take. It can be a terrifying step to take. But I want you to know that whether you're watching online or whether you're here in person, you are not alone in that decision. And so if you want to take that step or if you have more questions or maybe you want to take that step, but you want to know what's next and how do I continue on this road, we have resources for you. We have people to help. And so if you're online, you can just drop that in the chat. Uh, if you're in the room, you can actually pull the card in front of you that says, I've decided. And drop that in the drop boxes if you want, if you don't want to talk to anybody, and we'll just send some stuff your way. Or if you want to follow up with a person, you can go to our Welcome Center and take that card up there. Just go tell them. And, and we want to help you in that. So don't feel like you're alone this morning. If you want to make that decision, God is ready and he's for you. Um, And then for the rest of us, I just want to pray for us that he would give us the boldness to be able to start making those decisions. And that maybe even this morning, we would make a decision that will change the rest of our life. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for how you love us. I thank you that you're for us. I thank you for the people in the room who are making a decision right now to step into that grace, to get rid of their shame, to get rid of their past because those things are not of you and to embrace your grace and your love and the fact that you were for them. God, I pray that you would just help them in that, that you would send the right people alongside of them to encourage them, that you would help them get the right resources and begin this journey. But God, I thank you for life change because their lives will never be the same. And God, I just want to pray for the rest of us as we 
battle through these decisions, as we wrestle with what's, what we need to do and where we should go. I know there's a lot of gray and there's a lot of uncertainty. And God, would you just help lead us in the right way? Would you help lead us to the best? And God, would you help us run this filter through our lives of what's best, what's wise, based off my past, present, and future? It's your name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.